So, I don't know about you, but I was in the first grade when it first bit me. The love bug. You know what I mean? Like, I was in the first grade, and uh, I, I don't know if it was Cupid's arrow or, like, cooties, or I don't know what it was, but something got into me, and, and, uh, and I liked I liked someone. You remember that? When you liked someone, it's like, I heard you like so-and-so. Uh-uh, I didn't like that, but I did. I liked, I liked her. It was this little girl, uh, and, and I, I, I remember... Um, I don't know what it was about this girl. It was, it was the 80s. It might have been like her teased up bangs. It might have been like her oversized tube socks. I'm not sure what it was, but like as a first grader, it drove me wild. So I, I wanted to make, you know, my first grade move on, on, on this, this crush that I had. And so I decided uh, I, would, I would need to get her attention. The problem is as much as I really liked her, I wasn't sure that she knew my name. And uh, so I, I waited. I was patient. And I picked the day. And you know the day, right? It's Valentine's Day. It's the one day where you can express your undying love in first grade and nobody else is going to pick on you. Except your grandma, I later found out. Um, but I decided, like, I can't just be doing Valentine's Day like everybody else. I've got I've to step it up a notch. So while my friends are out uh, at, I don't know, Kmart buying uh, G.I. Joe uh, Valentine's Day cards, I took it up a notch. I went into my room. I got my He-Man Masters of the Universe coloring book. Fellas, can I, hear, can I get a witness? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. All right, I have my Masters of the Universe uh, coloring book. I colored her picture. Uh, I think it was Castle Grayskull. And, I, I, and then I went through my own personal collection of teddy bears and stuffed animals, and I picked out the perfect stuffed animal. I'm like, this is it. This is it. This is my big day. I don't know what I expected after I gave it to her, but I'm like, this is it. So I, I, I waited. I think it was like nap time, so I go over to her little plastic nap mat, and I'm like, hey, I got you this. And I'll never forget what happened. She takes the paper, and she rips it in half, and she throws it at me, and she takes the teddy bear, and she throws it back, and she goes, Chris, I don't like you. And that was when I learned something. She did know my name. <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. Um, needless to say, it didn't work out. Uh, I think we had different goals. I don't know. Uh, she missed out. Uh, I'm much happier with the way th things turned out with my wife that I met much later in life. Um, but it was all about getting her attention. Today I want to talk about uh, getting attention. I, I think that we, uh, we spend a lot of our life trying to get attention of different types. Maybe you had a story like the one I just told and then you, you were you know, pining after someone's heart and you did that in that way. Maybe uh, for you it's, it's something uh, that someone early in life told you um, that volunteering looked good on resumes and so you just decided to do everything in your, in your power to, to be involved in everything so that your school transcript or your resume was as full as possible so that when it comes across somebody else's desk, you get the most attention, and that's probably good advice, right? And so these things all go there, and I think that there's a lot of ways we look for attention. Maybe for you, it's, it's not a great thing. Maybe in your marriage right now, you feel like you're having to work really hard to get your spouse's attention. Or maybe, uh, maybe it's just when you go shopping for clothes and shoes, you get a haircut. I just got this question. Who are you hoping will notice it? Right? It's, just attention. it's not a bad thing. It's a thing we're, we're kind of programmed that way. We, we like to do that. I think there's, uh, it's very natural. We like attention. Healthy attention is good for our self-esteem. Uh, and it's good for us as we grow up and develop. And then there's unhealthy attention, like when you're that kid who acts out and ends up getting in a lot of trouble and ends up you know, in this vicious cycle of attention getting. Today we're continuing in our teaching series, Beautiful Contrast. It's a study through uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And um, 
And actually, you'll notice kind of the graphics have changed. The little video at the beginning has changed. We're jumping into uh, what I'm calling volume two. Okay, we've been, I don't know if you noticed this, but we've spent the last seven weeks digging in to Matthew chapter five. There's so much there. And so to kind of break the monotony of it a little bit, we're just going to kind of shift things around a little bit because there's a shift that happens between chapter five and chapter six as Jesus is talking. In chapter five, sorry, in the first half, the first part, chapter five, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about our relationships with other people. Like you shouldn't hate, and, and he talks about divorce and adultery, and he talks about lying and truth-telling, and you remember all those things that we've been through. There's this kind of, it's subtle, but it's there. There's a shift that happens in chapter 6 where Jesus then takes his, the attention or the conversation of how we interact with um, people to this way that we interact with him. It's an interesting shift because that's the two sides of really Jesus' greatest commandment. Love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart and love others as yourself, as Jesus says is the, the greatest commandment. So... We take this shift, and we're in uh, Matthew chapter 6, okay? Uh, if you'll grab a Bible, if you've got one, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We've got free ones under your chairs. If you don't have one of your own, feel free to take one of those home with you. Also, the scripture will be on the screen behind me. But we're going to take this shift into chapter 6, and I think uh, Jesus is beginning to address this group of people that he's kind of, it's in the uh, undertone of what he talks about a lot anyway, this group of people, the Pharisees. You know what I'm talking about? These people are super religious. Uh, if, if I could pick one word to describe the Pharisees, it was legalistic. You know, they knew kind of what the law of God was, and they, they did it to a T, so much so that they would add rules on top of rules on top of rules just to make sure that you didn't get even close to breaking the rule problem was their heart wasn't there. And Jesus actually comes out and he says, you know, you're doing this and I think you're just doing it for attention. I think you're doing it for attention, but the problem is there's good attention and there's bad attention and you're getting the wrong kind of attention. As we step into chapter 6, what we're going to look at is what I think is Jesus flipping the coin there and saying, instead of seeking attention, seek something else. He's going to give us a little workshop here. This is really good. You're in church, and if there was a day to be here where you could learn something important from Jesus, this might be one of the most important ones. Because this is where Jesus is going to give us a workshop on how to approach God. How to approach God. Jesus has these people that are approaching God with bells and whistles and horns and trumpets and cymbals, both metaphorically and literally, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. It's not about the amount of noise you make and the amount of tension, attention you get. It's about something else. And so we're going to jump in, Matthew chapter 6. Hope you're already there. And we're going to read actually the first 18 verses of chapter 6. Kind of a long section. It's got a lot of meat in it. And so let's just dive right in. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1. This is how Jesus opens up. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This could be the thesis of the whole first half of Matthew chapter 6. In fact, it could carry us through the rest of the Beatitudes. He's like, this is not about what other people see you do. This is about something that's going on in your heart between you and God. Uh, This verse really sets the tone. Um, And so Jesus begins his teaching here. Mainly the Pharisees were the people he was speaking to. But as he talks to the audience and he talks to the crowd, I think there's so much that we can learn. Our goal today is to walk away with, if this were a workshop and Jesus was teaching it like this, I think maybe he'd say, uh, we're going to give you three ways to approach God. Three ways to approach God. These are healthy ways, healthy ways to approach God. And so let's just jump into this first one. He kind of gets into it in in verse 2. One way that uh, 
the people that would be trying to approach God and actually were just getting attention was in the way that they gave to the needy. Now, this was a time before welfare. It was a time before homeless, uh, homeless stations. It was a time before uh, you know, food pantries. And so the way that people in poverty would survive would be through the generous donations of other people. And that's very good. It's still true today. It's just we have it a little more organized now. These people that were religious um, legalists, what they would do is they would make a very big show of their giving to the needy. Jesus calls them out on that. He talks in uh, verse 2. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. The synagogues are kind of the house of worship for Jewish people. The synagogues are on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, if what they wanted was attention, they got it. Verse 3 says, no. Instead, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand Know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father, listen to this, this is cool. He says this three different times in this, past, this whole section. Your father who sees what is done as secret will reward you. Jesus' point here is really cool, uh, that when you practice generosity, there is the possibility, the potential, in fact, the promise of a spiritual reward. That's pretty cool. If you are generous, God wants to bless you for that. But it's not possible when you do it with the wrong heart. It's not possible when you do it for show. It's not possible when you do it for attention. Jesus' first how-to for approaching God today is this. And I got some phrases that we can lay out. This first one is this. Learn to trust God through generosity, not recognition. Learn to trust God through generosity, not recognition. This might be something that we all need to take in a little bit. Uh, for example, um, the biggest time we see this in, in the Bible is the concept of the tithe. You heard the tithe? Some of the people get a little antsy in their seat when preachers talk about tithes, right? But it's a big, it's a big principle that we see in the Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, we saw people set aside 10% of whether it was their money, income, or many times if you're a farmer, you'd set aside 10% of your crops. Or if, you're, if you had animals, you'd set aside 10% of the animals that you raised. The principle here was 10% of your income, and they would dedicate it to the temple, now, there were two very good reasons for this. The first one was extremely practical. The first reason for the tithe, all the people of the nation of Israel would give their tithe to the temple because it was practical to support the priests that were helping to make the temple function and for the upkeep of the temple and for worship. Uh, in, in churches today, the same principle conveys. It's interesting, the kingdom of God is multifaceted. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving things, and, and there's upkeep in the quote-unquote temple. Just a clarification. In the New Testament times, which we live in now with Jesus, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Each one of us uh, are people uh, that carry God's presence. But there is upkeep of God's kingdom. And so when people bring tithes and offerings at church or at another time to a church, it's four things for us. It's, uh, you know, I, I work for the church. I, part of the thing that I do is my job. And I get a salary from some of the tithes and offerings that are collected here. If you didn't know that, I'm transparent. There you go. Um, the other thing is that... Uh, Things like the rent for this building, the ministries we do with our city team, uh, the insurance we have to pay for the equipment that we have and we store in a trailer, and on and on it goes. And so there's that one first practical reason for the tithe. But then there's another thing, and I think it's more important. The other benefit of the tithe is a spiritual blessing from God. Because when we begin to set aside parts of our income, that thing that we hold on so tightly to, that makes us feel so secure, and we set them aside for God's use and purpose. We're saying something to him. And this is what we're saying in essence. We're saying, God, 
I'm gonna trust that you can do more with the 90% I have left than I could do if I managed the whole 100%. What begins to build there is trust for God. I gotta tell you, some of the most powerful stories I've ever heard of God working in people's lives has been people saying, okay, I had this financial need, but I continued to trust God with my giving, with my generosity. And God showed up to the penny. I can't tell you how many times in my own life when it's just like, wow, exactly what I need arrived at exactly the right time. The coolest thing is that some of these stories are from people right here in this room that I've spoken to. Like, you're not going to believe what happened when I began to be generous and God began to bless that. And so I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to learn what it means to trust God. And using Jesus' suggestion here, though he is talking about uh, the way that the hypocritical Pharisees were giving. I'm just kind of using this as an example there. He says, trust me. Trust me with your finances. And I'll I'll give you two ideas. One, we do a a collection here every week at church, right? We do that. There's a bucket at the end. And even at the end of the church, I'm like, look, if you're a guest here, you don't have to put money in that bucket. We don't require anybody to pay to be here. But this is about trusting God and investing in the kingdom that he has. That time will be coming later. Here's the thing that I want to tell you that I always say. You don't have to give here to receive the blessings of God. I I would love, if you would, the ministries of this church. We're a new church, and the things that we have uh, are are a blessing to us, but there's things that we'd like to do that uh, as our community comes together, we can continue to do more. But here's the thing. God promises a blessing to those who are generous and who do it between yourself and him. And so here's what I would suggest to you. Give somewhere. Give somewhere, find a God-centered organization and say, or, or a group of people, maybe it's just a family that you know that's in need, and help them. That's what the church does. Help them. These are the three things I'd say about the challenge for trusting God with generosity. Give somewhere, give regularly, and give generously. Somewhere, regularly, and generously. I suggest 10% as a starting point. If you've noticed in the last chapter that we've read, in chapter 5, Jesus raises the bar on everything from the Old Testament. 10% was where they began. Uh, I love this passage that goes into the spiritual blessings of generosity. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. Malachi was an Old Testament prophet and he speaks the words of God. He says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. First practical reason, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. And see if I will not, second part, of generosity, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be enough room even to store it. And so in today's passage, Jesus says, listen, don't make your approach to me about a show. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I had the great privilege so many times working in and among churches where people have come to me and say, listen, I want to bless somebody, and they'll give me an envelope with someone's name on it. And they'll say, don't ask questions. Just give this to the person. I got to do a couple weeks ago to two families. And it's just like, wow, I love that. And that person's like, I don't want the attention. I don't want the credit for it. I just want to bless somebody else because I've been blessed. And so learn to trust God through generosity, not recognition. Jesus continues, though, uh, and, and he, he gives us this workshop. And, and as he continues, I'd say maybe the second section um, is probably the most common way that we approach God. The word is Prayer. Prayer. You're going to have another uh, sentence coming up as a, as a principle, but let's just read Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5, as Jesus shifts into the next little story. It says, And when you pray, 
Don't be like the hypocrites. He calls them out again. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Sound familiar? Happened again in the section we just read, right? People getting the wrong type of attention. Jesus gives us the correct way, starting in verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. This is an interesting teaching in our context. If I had to guess, I, I don't want to you know, try to put myself in your brain. <laughs> Maybe a scary place anyway, but I don't know exactly I don't know exactly where we are, but if I had to guess in this room, I'd say that not many of us have the problem that Jesus is talking about. I don't see many uh, street corner babblers in here. Like I don't see you out there like, you know, and you're just you're praying for attention. Uh, in talking to so many people of our church, our church family, my guess is that more of us have the problem with, I just don't tr- pray at all. <laughs> I just don't pray at all, or when I do, I don't know where to start, or I'm not really sure how prayer works, and so... One, if you're on the other end where you've been a person who prays and, and maybe it's, you kind of get a little giddy because you get a little bit of attention. Jesus says, stop that, stop that. But I think, if I'm reading our family the right way, we might be leaning towards the other side. Then maybe what we need to hear is Jesus saying this, when you pray, notice he says, when you pray, not if you pray. When you pray, and I think it's awesome that Jesus in this second how-to is gonna give us an example of how to pray. I'm going to give you your second how-to. This is, this is it. He, pursue God through personal prayer. We need to pray. As we are approaching God, what's one way we can do it? Well, we can do it through generosity. That's one way we can approach God. Another way we can approach God is through prayer. But we've got to pursue God through personal prayer. And so we have these next few verses that Jesus gives us as a model prayer uh, to, to learn how to pray. Let's just read it together. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9. He says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people who sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Most of us have heard this prayer before. I I played sports in high school. I remember our wrestling coach would have us say the Lord's Prayer before every match. And I'm I'm thinking like, I know what all of us were doing earlier that day, and now we're going to sit around and pray to God. Yay! This is totally hypocrisy. Um, But... Many people see this prayer, and, and, you, and you've heard it called things. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Some people call it the Our Father, uh, and it's a type of prayer. A um, couple of things this is, and maybe some things that it isn't. One, it's a great prayer to memorize and pray. Uh, the Bible talks about uh, writing the Word of God on our hearts so that we won't sin against Him. And so it's really good to memorize Scripture. Uh, it's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's probably more like the disciples' prayer. Jesus is like, no, this is yours. I want you to pray this. And so that's just food for thought. And the other thing is this, it's not that we have to pray just like this every single time. Jesus says, when you pray, this is how you should pray. Not this is what you should pray, but this is how you should pray. And so what I want to do, if you're someone who's just kind of digging and trying to understand approaching God better and maybe maybe enhance your prayer life, 
I think there's three big chunks of, of teaching that Jesus gives us in this model prayer. And so let's just look at them. In, in verses 9 and 10, it basically says this. Start by acknowledging God's greatness. Acknowledge God's greatness. And so he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means like you're holy, you're set apart, you're, you're awesome, you're great. Uh, many times when I pray, I just say something like, God, man, you're good. Right? Or maybe you just need to say, God, you're the provider. God, you're amazing. God, you're my king. But he says, acknowledge the greatness of God in your prayer. That's a great place to start. Imagine you're walking into the throne room of a king. You wouldn't just be like, what up, dog? How's it going? Yeah, how's it been? Like, that's not, you can be like, oh, your majesty, right? That's, that's how you approach a king. And, and Jesus says, when you start to pray, this is how you should begin. But then in verse 11, I love this. He says, ask God for things. This one sentence is powerful. Give us today our daily bread. Who in the world do you think you are approaching the creator of the universe and saying anything to him? I'm, my mind is blown by that all the time. But God says, no, 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 approach me, and I want to know what you want. Tell me. Jesus says, uh, you know, ask for your daily bread, but what are the things that you really need? It's important for us to go to him and let him know. It's interesting. He does know already what we need, but he wants to hear it from us. He wants that relationship to be built um, there's a couple of passages later on in Matthew chapter 7 uh, that kind of go right into this. And so our goal is to read every verse in the Sermon on the Mount. And so these are ones that won't be dealt with so deeply later because they fit right in here. Uh, for example, in, in, in chapter 7, verse 7, it says, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened to you. Jesus says, ask me for stuff. I'm okay with that. And then later in verse nine, it says, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? And so if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do you think your father in heaven will be able to give good gifts to those who ask? And so again, Jesus says, listen, when you pray, ask God for stuff. It's okay. It's okay, but it, he's not a cosmic Santa Claus, okay? We don't get to go down the list and say, I want a pony and an Xbox 360, and then like, I want a pony, when we don't get it. God gets the veto right. He gets to come and say, well, it's nice that you asked for that, but you don't need that right now. But he wants us to ask him. Okay, and then, then the third thing, we, we acknowledge God's greatness. We, we then approach him and ask him for what we need. Verses 12 through 15, they deal with a category of things. It's, it's God's role in our sin stuff. God's role in forgiveness when we fall short. Uh, a lot of times we say things all the time like, um, and I hear this all the time from our church family, well, you know, I did this, but nobody's perfect, right? And we, that's true, right? Is it true? Nobody's perfect. But we use that as a pass. We're like, well, nobody's perfect, so I can just continue to sin. Like, that's no big deal. But Jesus is like, no, and sin is a big deal. No one's perfect, correct. That's why Jesus gives us forgiveness for our sins. But when we approach God, this, this last part of the, sinners, the, the, of, the, um, of the, the Lord's Prayer, it says this, that, you know, lead us not into temptation. God, help me to stay away from temptation. Help me to be a forgiving person because you forgave me. So the third big thing I think we can include in our prayer life is talking to God about our sin problems. It's important. It's important that we go to God and say, listen, this is the area in which I'm struggling. Thank you for giving your grace. But seriously, God, I want to get better at this. How do we approach God? The most basic way 
to have an audience with God is through prayer. And so many of us struggle with it because we say things like, I'm just not good at praying out loud. Well, you kind of get a pass here. Jesus is like, well, go in your room and shut the door. That's fine. If you're a parent, I will say it's important for your kids to hear you pray, see you pray. I'm challenging you with that. They, they, they need to know that their parents pray. But sometimes we say, I just don't know what to say. And my challenge is, stop making this about you. <laughs> this is about a relationship with God. So let's pray. Let's be a people who seek to pray and start at the bare minimum. Maybe what you can do is just look this up in Matthew chapter 6 and read that prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And use that as a starting point and grow from there. I'm, I'm curious, what would a relationship with a spouse or a best friend look like if you never spoke to each other? Some of you are living in that. And I don't say that'd be funny. It's true, right? There's no communication. There's no relationship. And so God wants to hear from you. He loves you. He wants a real relationship with you. And so Jesus says, pursue God through personal prayer. And that's the second like, piece of his workshop on how to approach God. Ultimately, approaching God is about recognizing who he is and deciding to make that a central part of our life. We, at our church, we have a three-part goal. We're going to be God-chasing, grace-shaped, love agents. God-chasing, grace-shaped, love agents. What's that first one? To be a God-chaser. I want to make the fact that God is amazing and powerful. I want to make that central to my life and the decisions that I make. And so Jesus has unpacked two major ideas here about how we can approach him and make that part of that. He says, learn to trust him through generosity, not recognition. He learns, and then secondly, he says, pursue him in personal prayer time. And then there's this final one as we wrap up the whole section. Uh, it's something that, in my experience, is rarely, if ever, talked about in Christian circles. Uh, I've been in church most of my life, and I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon specifically on this topic, maybe kind of like I'm doing today. Uh, but the idea is fasting. Fasting. Jesus spends this whole chunk. He talks talk about like generosity, prayer, and fasting. And that's kind of one that is like, I think a lot of modern people are like, eh, that's just what people way back then used to do. I don't really have to do that. But Jesus, he lumps it right in there with these other two. So I think we're responsible for it. Fasting. And so I'm calling this third how to find fullness through fasting. Notice the irony there. What is fasting? Fasting is about being hungry, right? And empty. But we're going to look to find fullness through fasting. Let's just keep reading Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. He says this, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces to show that others are to others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. He gets back to that reprise again. All right, you get it. If what they want is attention, then they got what they're asking for. But he gives us in verse 17. But when you fast, Put oil on your head and wash your face. He's talking in the first century. That was a fashion thing. For, he, for you, he'd probably say, take a shower, wash your hair, you know, dress nicely. In other words, don't look all beat up and bedraggled. Like, look normal. Look like you would look on any other day. So that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting. But only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret. Again, what will he do? He will reward you. Fasting. Most people know what fasting is. I mean, fasting is, is giving up food for some purpose. I mean, there's lots of times you do it. Maybe you've done it for a medical purpose. You had like a surgery coming up or you went to the dentist and they're like, don't eat for 12 hours, don't eat for 24 hours, whatever. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's a way to kind of, um, kind of reset things in your body. Maybe you've done a, a fast for diet purposes, dieting purposes, uh, maybe some sort of fitness purpose and you ate only certain kinds of food. Uh, every morning we have a meal that celebrates the fast, the break fast. Like, that's what it is. We're breaking the fast of the night before. You know that? Some people, when I ever I hear that, it's like, whoa, that's true. Wow. Uh, 
You can go home now. Everything's done. We talked about important things today. <laughs> breakfast. Breakfast is breaking the fast of the night before. And so it's a part of our life already. But Jesus says, I want you to do it for a spiritual purpose. You don't only have to fast from food, or it's like fasting is not just food. People fast from Facebook. They fast from you know, other technology and their cell phone. Maybe they fast uh, from watching TV and things like that. The point of fasting, though, is to give up one thing for the purpose of pursuing something else or preparing for something else. Jesus specifically here is talking about fasting from food for spiritual renewal and growth. Um, we see fasts all over the Bible. There are people that give up food for hours or days or just specific days. Jesus and a few other people in the Bible, they do fasts, long fasts, like a 40-day fast. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's crucial to understand the connection between our reliance on food and our spiritual growth because just like money can make us feel secure, and Jesus is like, look, you, you want to feel secure, trust God with your resources, with your finances. The same thing could be said here about food. Food makes us feel really secure. You ever see somebody about 1130, they're like, I'm starving. And, you know, we, and we all do it. But, and then we see the commercials on TV of kids who are actually starving in third world countries. We're like, I feel terrible. I'm a bad person. Because it makes us feel really secure to know where the next meal is going to come from, to know that it's not only going to be food, but my favorite food, Right? And Jesus says, listen, this is a physical thing. And let's take our reliance off of this physical thing for a little while so that we can know that there is a spiritual thing that's bigger. One time Jesus is fasting for 40 days. And he's approached by the devil to be tempted. And in this little encounter, uh, the devil comes to Jesus and says, listen, I, I think that you're hungry. And I think that you should turn those stones over there into bread. You're powerful after all, right? You're the son of God. You can do that. Jesus' response is deep. He says it in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The point here is that food is great, but only God can make us full. We seek fullness from so many empty things. And Jesus says, listen, seek fullness in me. Find fullness in fasting. This is the way that you can do this. Did you notice, just like he said earlier about prayer, he, he says when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. And he doesn't even, like I wouldn't call this as like, like a command. Like there are some things like I say you must do this. This is more like a, like a, like a gimme. He's like, yeah, I mean you're going to fast. Obviously you're going to fast, right? I, I got to be honest, in all the spiritual disciplines that I want to be good at, this is one that I just really haven't spent a whole lot of time focusing on recently in my life. And so I've, as I studied through this week, I, I was convicted like, yeah, I mean, I should, I should do this. And, and this is why. Not because it's just like this self-deprecation thing or this like, you know, hurt yourself. Like all, that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is this. When you give up a physical thing to rely on God, if you look through the Bible when people fast, they typically do it before they have to make really big decisions or they do it after a big event in their life. Something big is going on. And I need to really seek God in this moment. And when we're really, really comfortable in our own shoes providing for ourselves, it is hard for us to seek guidance and security from God. Because you're like, I'm good. I'm good. I got food in my belly. I got a roof over my head. But Jesus says, no. If you pull aside from the physical things, you'll find that there's spiritual depth to be gained. And so these people and, and us, as we try it, as we're fasting, Maybe you've got a big decision about work coming up or about a relationship or about something big that's going on in your life. And you pick a day. And you're like, I'm, I'm going to fast through lunch or I'm going to fast through this whole day today. 
every time you begin to feel those hunger, hunger pains in your, in your stomach, you know, it begins in your mind, I need to go get a cheeseburger. Wait, why am I doing this? Oh, yeah, God. And the dots begin to connect very quickly. And it's also a way of God, of us showing God, listen, I, I understand that you're bigger than me. And that I'm just physical. But you're spiritual and you can fulfill me. The Bible teaches us about fasting. And if there's anything that it teaches about fasting is that it might be the best way to show God that you're serious about something. Like look through all the times when people fast in the Bible. I mean, if you haven't, you can probably Google it. People fasting in the Bible. And you'll find that they're doing really big, serious things for God. And I think it's because God knows how we work. He knows how we tick. And he's like, look, you can get to your belly. <laughs> you can get to your heart. And so um, here's another challenge for us today in addition to praying and just in a generosity. My challenge is to try this. Try fasting. I'm going to take the challenge myself. I'm not going to tell you when. I'm definitely going to wash my hair or put oil on my head or whatever it is I'm supposed to do. But take some time. I would challenge you this week. Don't do it because I said so. Maybe there's a decision coming up, and you know you need to do it in a couple of weeks from now or whenever. Uh, there was a period of time in college when I had some friends that um, we did this together. You don't have to do this alone. It, it's, it's not about being completely isolated and, and secretive. This isn't a secret Santa. This is just to make sure that your heart's in the right place. And so it might be helpful to have a friend, an accountability partner that you can say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Would you do it with me? We'll do it during lunchtime on Wednesday this week. And then I'll text you or I'll call you, make sure you're doing it, make sure you're good. Can I pray for you? You pray for me. And it's just a starting point to help us approach God. I'll tell you this. I've taken this challenge myself, and I hope that you will too, because it's a way to dial in on what God wants with your life. So as we wrap up this section, Jesus has gone through this workshop for us. He's given us some, some teaching. He taught us about generosity. He taught us about, uh, he taught us about prayer. He taught us about fasting. I want to go back to the story of my first grade crush for just a second, okay? Uh, humor me because it's going to land hopefully right where it needs to be for each one of us today. That's a silly story, right? I mean, very rarely does that work out. <laughs> but the truth is, the whole situation was bound to fail from the beginning. Not because we were six years old, but because though I really wanted her attention, she didn't want to have nothing to do with me, right? Relationships have to be both ways. That's where Jesus is so different. This whole section about motives behind our actions as we approach God, it's not one-sided, it's not us just sitting down here going, God, look at me, look at me. Hey, listen, I'm doing this, I'm saying that, I'm going there, I'm with these people. I've given up this, I've done all that. The truth is, there's no action that we could do to earn God's attention. We're not big enough or strong enough or good enough for that. What's the cool thing is, God has given us his undivided attention. I was talking to my wife last night about something that blew my mind when she said she was reading it in a book, but it's, it was, wow. Uh, it, it's impossible for any one of us to give our undivided attention to someone. I mean, you can, give, you can give a lot of attention to maybe two or three people for a period of time. And maybe if I'm just sitting having coffee with you, we're pretty much focused. But in the back of our minds, the, the rest of the life is playing, right? And then you can only have two or three really good friends, but after that it begins to thin out a little bit. But God is capable, with the billions of people on this planet, to give each one of us his undivided attention. Wow. That's the bigness and the grandness 
of our God. And, and, and as he asks us to approach him, he said, listen, I did something especially to get your attention and to show you that I am pining for your heart. I'm seeking after your worship and your loyalty. I'm coming down to the planet Earth in the form of a human being, and he did. And that was Jesus. He said, I'm giving you my undivided attention and my love and my forgiveness. And you don't have to be perfect. But what I want from you is for you to approach me. And you know what that's called? It's called worship. If we want to worship God, there's so many different ways we can do it. Jesus says we can do it in these three ways. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to learn about him. He wants us to pine for his attention, yearn for his eyes to be upon us, learn to trust him through generosity, not through recognition, pursue him in personal prayer, and find fullness through fasting. And today's a great day to start. In just a minute, we're gonna have a time to just stop. And if up till now you've been distracted, maybe it was your first time in church today, or maybe you just haven't been in church in a long time and you're just checking in, man, I'm so glad you're here. And maybe all the stuff I just talked about was like, I'm not really ready for all that mess. Here's what I want to tell you. It's not about the perfect words and the perfect circumstances. It's about saying, you know what? God did all this for me, and he wants me to approach him. My challenge for you is to do that. Step up. Say, God, I'm here. I'm going to give you my best, the best that I got right now. And it's all for you. Not for my attention, not for the attention of others but for your glory. Can I pray for us today? God, thank you for this time that you've given us to just celebrate your goodness. You are good indeed. And it's, uh, it's humbling to know that you would invite us to approach you. Lord, your name is good. Your name is holy. I pray that you will provide us with our daily bread, that you will forgive us, help us to forgive others. And that your kingdom will continue to be built on this earth and the foundation that you laid. Allow us to shine light in the dark places of this city. And allow us to take the effort to be made full through you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.